0: Welcome to the Urantia Radio Podcast. My name is Jim Watkins, and the name of this podcast is called Why Do the Heathen Rage? So we're going to get into Jesus went through during a very tumultuous period in his life with his apostles and what we're going through, and they're very similar, more similar than you think, and it explains a lot of the behavior that's going on in the world today. Now, i also like to take a few moments in the introduction to tell you if there are some significant events coming up in the Urantia community. So if you have a significant event that you would like to promote, send it to me at Urantia Book radio at gmail.com. But do me a favor, promote what we're doing here. We're trying to grow the podcast because we're trying to grow awareness of the fifth epical revelation. Best way to get a hold of me, Urantia Book Radio at gmail.com, Eurantia Book Radio at gmail.com. Now coming up Saturday, March 9th, Marvin Garin is going to be on the spotlight series at the Urantia Book International School. It's March 9th and it is 11 a.m. central time and it will be hosted by Marvin Garin. And he is focusing on coming home to spiritual family. Go to the urantia.org website and you'll find everything you need about this upcoming spotlight series. In a second, why do the heathen rage? Good question, isn't it? Let's find out what Jesus had to say about it. It's uh, really nice to have you back here for another edition of the uh, the Ranch Radio podcast, and today we're going to talk about something that I've thought about often, and, and there's a reason that I called this episode "The The Heathen Are Raging," and uh, the reason that the Heathen are raging are plenty, no question about that. But um, I think I think of this often when I see the amount of uh, confusion that's going on in the world. Um, And there's no doubt a lot of people are anxious, very anxious. Even my son was commenting about how everywhere he goes, people are just really caught up in all that's going on. And I can certainly detect that when I have people on the program. And if you've noticed in the last couple of episodes, everybody is really concerned about what's happening. There's there's no question I know in my mind and in your mind that the earth is going through a, a transition. And the way that I explained it to my son was that you know, up until mo- most recently, things in life took a long time to change. It wasn't really until, say, the discovery of certain principles like, you know, steam power and electricity that things started to accelerate, just like right after the, Guten- uh, the Gutenberg Press and people started being able to read, things started to develop. Well, now the ship is out of the harbor and the orange Book, among, you know, I'm not... not Not only the Arancha book, but every every, anything right now will tell you that the thing, the rate at which there is change, is very unsettling. And they talk about this in paper one ninety five of the Arancha book, where they talk about the future, and it's natural to feel anxious. So let's all take a, a breath and understand that, yes, we are a part of a particular inflection point in history. But not as all lost. You know, we will get through this. We've gotten through a lot worse. I'm sure that it was a lot harder to live as a Sangik as it is to live as as an American, you know. But nevertheless, there are forces at at work that are creating a lot of the tension in the world. And most of it has to do with power and people who are arrogant and they just want to be in control. Other people want to be left alone but there are also uh, underlying forces and i do believe that we're in an ideological struggle i absolutely believe that uh, and it is between materialism and faith and and when is it has have, hasn't been that and you know jesus addresses this and i i really wanted to give homage to this particular subject because there's a lot you can say about the heathen and i'm going to read a little bit from paper 155 uh and, about fleeing through north northern Galilee and what was going on at the time. And I started uh, reading the be- before paper 155. I went to paper 153 because the 155 is a result of what was happening in one, in paper 153. And 153 talks about the time. Do you remember the story of when Jesus fed the 5,000 people? Remember when he miraculously handed out these baskets and had unlimited fish. And there was a whole lot of stuff going on at that time. The, the rise, it was the third or the end of the third preaching tour, and Jesus started to become popular. And, and crowds were going out to watch him. You just like when crowds go out to watch Taylor Swift, right? You know, back in those days, you know, a, man, a preacher, a man who spoke truth, a man who would speak before, you know, hundreds or dozens of people, and they would all fall in love with this guy. He was just an attractive man in, in the greatest sense. And why not? He was the son of God. I mean, he was sent here to, to do what he's doing. And he's out there preaching and teaching, and he's got his 12 apostles, and he's got an evangelical core, and, and he is really becoming something in this time. But it created a crisis in a way, and there were events that happened as a consequence to the feeding of the 5,000. So if you remember a few days before what I'm about to discuss about the heathen, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, and he did through a, a, a real miracle. He was somehow, through the power of being a Creator son, he was able to accelerate time in taking the bread and the fish and somehow circumventing time to produce what was inherently possible in, in his bread and in the fish. Now, how he did that you can read about in the Arantia book. But needless to say, it was this act that started to concern the religious leaders of the day. And so I want to read a little bit from that particular paper, 153. says, Jesus endeavored to prepare the apostles for the impending shock, the crisis in the public attitude toward him, which was only a few days distant. And he explained to the twelve that the religious rulers of Jerusalem would conspire with Herod Antipas to effect their destruction. The 12 began to realize more fully, though not finally, that Jesus was not going to sit on David's throne. This was not going to be an endeavor where this rising popular figure was going to take over and fulfill the prophecy, right? And the the apostles started to realize there was some angst because, you know, usually when you, people are fickle. You know, it's not an accident that the very people that were clamoring and celebrating the Master and the feeding 5,000 and they wanted to make him a king, many were in the same audience where they were crying, Free uh, Barabbas. People are fickle. Human beings, that's a characteristic that human beings have. And the apostles of Jesus were fully coming to the awareness of the spiritual truth was not going to be advanced by material wonders. Feeding 5,000 people, wasn't going to change much. It might appease some people, but they began to realize that the feeding of the 5,000 and the popular movement to make Jesus king was the apex of the miracle-seeking, wonder-working expectance of the people and the height of Jesus' acclaim by the populace. From here on, it, it heads downward, and they start to work against him. And these apostles only vaguely discerned and dimly foresaw the approaching times of spiritual sifting and cruel adversity. And so I want to interject Psalms 2. This is where we get the quote, why do the heathen rage? And it it says from, from the Bible, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together and against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth and the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. And so now we move on to paper, I want you to remember that quote, because Jesus uses that quote to illustrate his point of what is about to happen. And it's and it's very relative to what's happening today in society. The rejection of faith, the rejection of religion, the rejection of anything of that doesn't have to do with materialism really. But at its essence, at its core, it's the same thing today that the apostles and Jesus were going through then as they were going about spreading truth. They were a threat to the norm. They were a threat to the religious authority. They were a threat to the Roman authority. So it reads from paper 155, before retiring for the night, the master called his followers around him and discussed with them the plans for their projected tour through Botania, and northern Galilee to the Phoenician coast. Why do the heathen rage? And Jesus said, You should all recall how the psalmist spoke of these times, saying, Why do the heathen rage, and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers of the people take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break the bonds of mercy asunder, and let us cast away the cords of love. Do you see that that's happening today, materialism, some sort of exalted humanism, and it breaks the bound. People don't believe in faith anymore, do they? They don't, you know, in many, many ways, it's almost as as it has nothing to do with anything. And the the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers of the people, get together, and they push out faith and anything to do with God. You heard it the other day when they were talking about that people that were believe that their rights and their free will came from God were, you know, being considered as problematic. Jesus goes on to say, Today you see fulfilled before your eyes, but you shall not see the remainder of the psalmist's prophecy fulfilled, for he entertained erroneous ideas about the Son of Man and his mission on earth. My kingdom is founded on love, proclaimed in mercy, and established by unselfish service. My Father does not sit in heaven laughing in derision at the heathen. He is not wrathful in his great displeasure. True is the promise that the son shall have so-called heathen, in reality his ignorant and untaught brethren, for an inheritance. So Christ is identifying there that, you know, I have to deal with these people too. that reject me. uh, They're part of my family. They're my children. And he goes on to say, I will receive these Gentiles with an open arm of mercy and affection, regardless of how silly they are, really. All this loving kindness shall be shown the so-called heathen, notwithstanding the unfortunate declaration of the record, which intimates that the triumphant Son, quote, shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel, quote. Jesus says, the psalmist exhorted you to serve the Lord with fear. I bid you to enter into the exalted privilege of divine sonship by faith. He commands you to rejoice with trembling. I bid you rejoice with assurance. He says, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish with his wrath, when his wrath is kindled. And I emphasize this point because it's such a great point. But you have lived with me and you know that anger and wrath are not a part of the establishment of the kingdom of heaven in the hearts of men. But he says the psalmist did glimpse the true light when in finishing His exhortation, he said, blessed are they who put their trust in the Son. And I'll be honest with you that for a while, and I go through periods where I'm really disconcerted about the way of the world, but I'm always rejoicing, and I always get refreshed when I think about that this man was real, and he knows about this, and he is the Creator's Son, and I put full confidence in what he says. And this is where it gets really important. Because this is where Jesus actually takes on the heathen, whether it's in his age or in our age. And I want you to think about the heathen as a particular group of people and what they have planned for us in the new world order, if whatever you want to call it. He says, Jesus continued to teach the 24, his apostles and the evangelists. Quote, the heathen are not without excuse when they rage at us. Because their outlook is small and narrow, they are able to concentrate their energies Enthusiastically, think about what he's saying that they and their mission, whatever their mission is, is small and narrow, finite. So they can put all their energy, all their resources, all their lobbying, all of their pressure, they can put it all into what they want. He says, Their goal is near and more or less visible. Wherefore do they strive with valiant and effective execution? You who have professed entrance into the kingdom of heaven are altogether too facilitating and indefinite in your teaching conduct. And I know this is true for me. I'm, I'm, I'm always, hey, let them go on their merry way. They're not going to get anything from, I'm not going to spare any truth on them. It's going to be like, what's that expression? You know, this pearls before swine. It's sort of a spiritual arrogance, right? I'm not even interested in saving them. Why would I want to engage in somebody who's already told me they don't believe in God? Why would I want to waste my time? Jesus says, he goes, the heathen strike directly for their objectives. You are guilty of too much chronic yearning. If you desire to enter the kingdom, why do you not take it by spiritual assault? Even as the heathen takes a city, they lay siege to. They lay siege to. You are hardly worthy of the kingdom when your service consists so largely in an attitude of regretting the past, whining over the present, and vainly hoping for the future. Why do the heathen rage? Because they know not the truth. Why do you languish in futile yearning? Because you do not obey the truth. Cease your useless yearning and go forth bravely doing that which concerns the establishment of the kingdom. And those are the words of Jesus. Quote, in all that you do, become not one-sided and over-specialized. The Pharisees who seek our destruction think they are doing God's service. They've become so narrowed by tradition that they are blinded by prejudice and burdened by fear. Let me emphatically state this eternal truth. If you, by truth coordination, learn to exemplify in your lives this beautiful wholeness of righteousness, your fellow men will then seek after you that they may gain what you have so acquired. And so I take that to me. When you have that confidence, I heard once somebody told me, confidence attracts, arrogance repels. The measure wherewith true seekers are drawn to you represents the measure of your truth endowment, your righteousness. The extent to which you have to go through with your message to the people is in a way the measure of your failure to live the whole or righteous life, the truth-coordinated life. And I really wanted to share that message with you, because that's such an important message, coming from the Master himself. But today we can see that the heathen rage, making people who are faithful and portraying them as unsophisticated, going after people who are trying to protect the unborn, sexualizing children because they abide not in the truth, but in fetishism, asserting that there is no God, that there is only science, or that there's only that which can be observed, Killing people because they believe in God or Christ or any religion. Killing any, any person because of who they believe in is wrong. Killing people because governments are atheistic and religion is illegal. Only subservient to the state. There are so many governments now that kill or arrest people because they have a Bible or because they profess faith in a number of different religions. It's not just about Christians. Demonizing people who love marriage and raising children and think that that's an important part of society. And they're now being portrayed as patriarchal and misogynistic, negative connotations. Large corporations and governments who enforce medicine as a treatment for depression and emotional discomfort, and playing down the efficacy of prayer, worship, service, family, community. Riots in the streets are allowed, where people are are wanting license without restraint and who seek retribution for ancestral grievances and do not serve their brothers and sisters. And then you've got cartels run by people who are Catholic, who purposefully destroy human life by peddling addiction. Yes, their purpose is one-sided and singular. They love prophets and, and power more than they love humanity. And it isn't just limited to cartels. Many influential corporate leaders behave the same way. So now we understand why the heathen are sometimes more victorious. Jesus is asking us to take the hill with a spiritual assault. That doesn't mean violence. It means having spiritual conviction, acting upon them, and defending them. And that's about as preachy as I'll ever get, but that's that's the emotional stirring of my soul when I read about this. And I just wanted to share it with you. And I promised I would, and there you have it. Another Another show in the can, as they say. Well, listen, it's been so good to be here with you and there's so much good stuff going on. Go to my website, Urantiaradio.net. Social connections is up. There's some great events going on. There's some people within the Urantia community that have been on this podcast that are going to be at the, the upcoming share event, the share sessions event going on in Missouri. So go to the Urantia Fellowship website and you'll get more information. And I believe there's a there's a link on my website, uranchoradio.net. So hang in there and we'll see you next time here. Any questions or comments, your Book Radio at gmail.com. Please share this with fellow truth seekers. The numbers, the, the numbers of downloads, numbers of people who are listening to this program, they're growing pretty significantly. I, I'm, I'm humbled. We'll see you next time. Thanks for stopping by.